Hi guys, Rob here, podcast editor for EveryMind. Is mental health stigma a generational problem? Find out why and much more when you listen to a conversation with EveryMind at Work founder Paul and Deanne Walsh from Dewa Consulting, a mental health training and coaching service. If you think EveryMind at Work could help your business, then head over to everymindatwork.com. If you found this episode valuable, don't forget to share with a friend and leave us a review on iTunes. As ever, enjoy the show. So Dee, welcome to the EveryMind at Work podcast. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, doing well, doing well. We're just chatting briefly about the year that you've just had and, and equally um, the difficulties that, that you've been facing. And I'm sure um, lots of people can relate to, to a difficult year. But I'm, I'm excited for this episode because, you know, I really want to hear more about your story. And I know you're extremely passionate for mental health, um, but equally as well, just talking about the work that you're doing in the workplace and potentially if there's more that people can learn from during this episode. So if you don't mind, let's just start with the surface level stuff. Um, okay. Who who are you and, and what do you do? Okay, so my name's Dion Walsh and I've got two jobs actually. I'm HR manager for a digital agency in Liverpool and I'm also running my own business called Dewa Consulting. So what happened, I've been in HR for about 15 years And obviously, a lot of people turned up at my door with various problems, financial health, um, relationships, problems in work. And I never really knew whether I was doing the best thing for them. So, you know, you'd support as best you could, but coming from a place of no knowledge. But recognizing how poorly people could get quite quickly without the right, right level of support. So four, five years ago, I went off and started my counseling qualifications with an aim to help him within the workplace. And quickly realized that I actually couldn't counsel somebody in the workplace, but the skills were really useful. And then three years ago, I was made redundant. And as a result of that, I was able to take up some Mental Health First Aid England training. So I trained as a Mental Health First Aid England instructor, continued doing HR, which for me has been an absolute blessing because it gives me a foot in both worlds. Mm. I'm able to train with multiple businesses and multiple individuals and still know what's going on in the workplace. So I I find it's a real blessing because I can come at training with a position of, I know because I'm in this world and I know Mm. what people are going through and what businesses are having to adapt with. And equally, I can bring the training element into the workplace. So, you know, I feel very blessed in that respect. But yeah, it really was about seeing people in the workplace suffering and struggling and wanting to support. And that's why when I retrained, it wasn't so much about offering support at the end with the counselling, it was about prevention. Mm. So by by raising awareness, by being able to, to put training in place, whether it's just how to have a basic conversation, how to be empathetic, or how to, you know, support as a mental health first aider, all of that helps people to not become unwell. And that for me was crucial amazing no and it's it sounds like it's that really good balance because in my experience you know mental health is pushed onto hr and as you said you know there's a lot of hr professionals that we work with that feel very out of their depth and and that's rightly so because mental health is a very sensitive subject and when an organization is saying to hr can you do something about it you know there's a lot of pressure on their shoulders so um i'm just you know i'm sure you saw those instances when employees were struggling and you know you didn't have that training you didn't have that you know mental health first aid training that you've now got um and and i think that's crucial to have a bit of both so you spoke about prevention then 
um, as well. And, and I want to talk about that um, specifically because I think we share a lot of similar views on proactive mental health care and prevention. But before we do that, was there, was there a, obviously seeing people struggling was a big driver for you to do the work that you do. Was there, was there any other sort of personal reasons as well? Yeah, so about eight years ago, I was involved, I was, I was dating somebody, um, and that was my first exposure to mental illness. And when we first started dating, absolutely fine, he was on his medication, didn't know, obviously, um, absolutely fine, and we had a couple of weeks and everything was great, and then he started behaving in a really paranoid way you know, um, you've lost an earring, what's going on, the rug's moved, who's been round. And I'm just getting really confused. Um, didn't know him that well, but didn't know what was going on. And as over the course of six weeks, as things developed, he became really unwell. And he did declare to me about four or five weeks in that he had paranoid schizophrenia. Mm. And he was becoming unwell. And he said, I need to go, I need to be assessed. So I went, right, okay. So I went off and spoke to a friend of mine who is a mental health professional. I said, what do I do? And she, she explained, you know, how to support and things. But he didn't seek the treatment he needed to. And as a result of that, he became suicidal. He went into psychosis. So he was seen here in things that weren't there um, in our reality. And it became really frightening. And I got a, a call one day from the local mental health hospital to say, just to let you know, we've had a conversation today. We've got a duty of care to tell you that you and your children could be in danger. So having had no family experience, friends with maybe anxiety, a little bit of depression, but nothing as severe as this. Um, and I rang this friend of mine and she said, you, you need to disappear, essentially, if that's the case, until they've been able to section him and treat him and support him, you need to be off the scene. So I moved to my brother's for a period of weeks, spoke to the hospital and they'd sectioned him at that point. I couldn't go back. I was so afraid and I was afraid for me and the children. And I look back now and I think, had I known then what I know now, my behavior towards him, the way I treated and supported him would have been so different. I carry a lot of guilt around the fact that I didn't support him then because I didn't know. And it really highlighted to me how little we know, you know, as humans walking around the globe we don't know what other people are going through we don't know what struggles they've got so I did move on I didn't go back I didn't contact him again because I didn't know how to deal with it, it was too big so when I went on and did my training and you know I've had other incidents in my life people who were suicidal people who've developed personality disorders and things or being diagnosed at that point developed bipolar now I'm much better able to recognize things early, intervene, support, get them on the right treatment path. Mm. And it was, you know, that combination of what I was seeing in the workplace and what I was seeing in my personal life that brought me to the point where I, I can't sit back and not do something with this when I've got the ability to be able to go out and raise that awareness with other people and prevent other people becoming that unwell. Yeah, it's, it's a powerful story. And you know, I didn't know that about you. And I think it's uh, a, a topic of conversation that doesn't get discussed that much in terms of the mental illness of psychosis, the mental illness that, you know, schizophrenia, where there's a lot more conversations around depression, anxiety, stress, but there isn't very much conversations around psychosis as an example. And 
I know you carry guilt and, you know, I'm the same with my dad's situation. You know, you carry that guilt, but at the same time, as you've said, you did the best with the tools and the education that you had at that time. And it was the same with, you know, me and, and how I tried to support my dad. Um, however, I can just imagine how scary that is because, you know, psych psychosis, psycho, you know, it's like that fear, as you say, of, of being in that moment and, feeling like you and your kids are in, in danger makes that situation very difficult to deal with. And with the education that you've now got, you know, how can we have more conversations around, you know, psychosis and those types of mental illness? Because again, when you're looking at the workplace, is that something they're going to touch? You know, very rarely will they say, yeah, let's run a session on psychosis, you know? Um, so, you know, how do you think that we can start to, to break down those walls of those mental illnesses? I think it generally being in a safe space to be able to talk about whatever's going on. You know, we talk about our physical conditions and we accept that there's no blame attached to that. Mm. But for some reason, when we talk about our mental health, we assume all this guilt around, well, why me? Why have I got this? Why am I not coping? People are going to, you know, not treat me in the same way if I tell them or, you know, and, and people feel they can't reach out. So I think, for me in workplaces particularly, it's about creating a safe space so that people can come and say, I'm, I'm hearing these voices or I'm, I'm experiencing these things and I'm scared because that's what's at the back of a lot of it, that these people are, you know, going through this and they're on their own and that must be really isolating and frightening. But to know that you've got a workplace that's supportive or you've got a friends group that are open to having these conversations, what a difference that would make. Mm. Yeah. And that's like, you know, to me, that seems so far away. And I know this is like the negative approach, but like for someone, an employee to say, I hear voices and I'm scared, you know, I'm guessing the majority of people's reaction to that is not going to be a positive one. Um, you know, and like you've said, your reaction and my reaction would, would be positive because we have almost an education of it that, you know, we've tried to discover ourselves that now see that in a very different way. Like, the 21 year old Paul would have been scared and run away. Um, and, and that's the reality of it. And I think, as you've said, the more people are open and talk about their experiences, um, you know, the better. So when we talk about prevention as well, and, and that proactive approach, how important is that? Do you feel in your experience? I think it's absolutely crucial. We need a level of self-awareness to know when we're dipping below the line. So for some people, it's really natural, you know, and it's like, I'm having a day off. I, I just need a day of rest. I need a day to myself. For other people, they just keep plowing through, you know, and our, our statistics, you know, 57% of our long-term sickness absences, stress, anxiety, and depression. Mm -hmm. You know, people aren't recognizing it until it's too late. So I think there's that self-awareness and there's also just generally taking care of ourselves, the sleep, the nutrition and hydration, the activity levels to be able to you know stay physically well and emotionally well and, and staying connected and being with people and being able to have those honest and open conversations about you know the last three months have been really rubbish haven't they with this lockdown and you know I've really found it quite difficult which I'm hearing a lot for the people that will open up to me but there's lots and lots of other people that aren't having that conversation mm, yeah no and it is it's you know you have to you have to go against 
all of the education and all of the conditioning that we've had, right, which is ignore mental health until it gets bad and do something about it, which, you know, like you say, when you're trying to, and I don't know whether you're the same, but, you know, I know how important this is, but still, you know, I didn't sleep very well a couple of nights before. I wasn't going for my runs. I wasn't going for my walks. I was working until, you know, late at night, waking up in the morning, working. And and you know that that's not good for you, but you still do it. Um, And then you have to just, okay, yeah, no, actually I'm doing what I say not to do so i need to try and snap you know try and get on with um going back to doing the runs and everything that i need to do uh, you know how how do you personally manage that is that is that something that you have to almost force upon yourself because it doesn't come natural or does it come natural to you to proactively manage your mental health when i was employed i was very good at it i would just book a day now i'm self-employed it's it's different <laughs> so like you working long hours late nights you know, you wake up in the middle of the night thinking, oh, I've not prepared that or I've not sent that email. Um, so a couple of my coping strategies, I've got an inflatable hot tub in the garden. Nice. Um, so this kind of weather, that's my retreat. You know, I'll take my Kindle and I'll just sit in the hot tub for an hour and the kids know not to disturb me. <laughs> so that's my, I know for some people it's activity and exercise. For me, it's about rest. Um, and I, I lose myself in a book. Um, the other thing I do is I'll plan in. And I've got to plan it because otherwise it won't happen. I'll plan in time for me. So I'm planning a weekend and I'm not working that weekend where I might work the other three out of the month. But it's like, no, that's that's the rest. That's when I need my me time. And, you know, I might still do bits and pieces, but I won't sit and work for five, six hours on a Saturday. Do research for my next topic or whatever it may be. So, yeah, as I say, it's it's different. It's been a definite mind shift for me between being employed and being self-employed. Mm. But now you say, I think it's like scheduling in that time, you know, you know, I think that's a simple tactic that anyone can apply to schedule in the time. Um, you know, my wife during all of this, she then, she then scheduled lunch into my calendar because yeah. she was like, you're just not, you know, you come out like free and just grab something. Um, whereas, you know, lunch was 1230 to one. So I would have that as lunchtime. Um, She's she's better at scheduling in me time, <laughs> to be honest. We're going away for a week because you're working too much. Um, but yeah, like you say, it's about scheduling it in and making it easier. Now, if we bring that to the workplace, obviously, you know, what you're doing with Mando and obviously the consultancy, what have you seen companies do well, especially during, you know, the last 12 to 18 months? So with Mando, one of the things we've introduced is check-ins. So we're a 60 person business and I try and check in with somebody at least once every 10 days. So it might be a Slack message, it might be an email, it might be a a Teams meeting, but I try and make contact with them. And what we'll find, sometimes people go, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. All of a sudden they go, I'm okay. And you check, you see the change in the language. And then we'll use things like form score. Okay, on a scale of naught to 10, where are you today? And that's when we start to have some real interesting conversations. So that's been really helpful because normally we're walking past people in the corridor or we're stopping at the coffee machine and we're having very natural conversations and you can see people's appearance where we're only seeing people from the neck up, you know, when we don't know that people are really taking good care of themselves. So that's been important. We've also introduced Able Futures, which um, I don't know whether you know about it or not, but it's government funded. So that's been a really good point for us is that we've been able to signpost to them as an interim between being able to access NHS services. And they've had support psychiatrist level um, within that service. So that's, we've had really good feedback from. We're using the EveryMind app 
So we've given all the employees access to be able to self-serve and identify how they're feeling today and what might support them in that. Um, we've introduced wellbeing check-ins within kind of one-to-ones line manager meetings so that we can see that it's not just about business, it's about people and how people are doing. Um, and again, it's, it's that self-care, you know, we, we do a lot of education around are you sleeping properly? We put sleep workshops on. We've got access to Go One, which has got 78,000 courses, some of them technical, some of them around well-being, mental health, etc. So it is all about information support, not necessarily all about mental health, but general well-being. You know, are you eating properly? We used to do healthy breakfasts. We used to do um, smoothies. So we do healthy smoothies and we do mocktails. So it's about getting people to think about how they're living in a different way as well. You know, we're hearing, aren't we, about the Corona stone and, you know, people have started to live in a different life. So we're just starting to reintroduce the social and well-being group where we're going to do walking challenges. So, you know, what are we going to do to get to a thousand miles during the month? Who's going to cycle, swim, run, whatever it may be. Um, and, Ian, our MD there, has um, been doing walking meetings for about three or four months. So if it's a meeting that doesn't require him to be in front of his PC, taking notes or doing actions, then you'll see him walking around the city through the park. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's great because leading from the top is really important and giving people permission to do that kind of thing. So, you know, we found that people have started to do that. It took a while for people not to feel guilt-induced by not sitting in front of the laptop 24-7 but we're definitely getting there with that as well. That's awesome. And, and what I really like about your answer is there's like a strategy behind it. Um, you know, oh, we have every mind for this. We have able futures for this. We have, you know, the manager, you know, the MD who's leading from the top. We've got regular check-in sessions. We do this and, and it's not just you're reeling off a list of tick boxes, right? You know, for me, I know that there's, a, you know a thought behind every one of those actions and they have to fit within a, a, a strategy within a strategic approach um because again you know you could have us you could have another tool you could have an employee assistance program mental health first aiders but if you don't have regular check-ins and someone leading from the top then you know that's having an impact on culture as well so i really like that and i also really liked the fact that as you've said you're encouraging conversations as well via well-being you know it's not just and I'm, I'm sure you know you've heard me talk about this and I'm sure you you've heard other people talk about it but when you talk about mental health it does put people off still doesn't it whereas who wants to do a walking challenge and see who can do the most steps oh yeah I want to get involved in that and then by the way this is why it's important this is why mental health is important you encourage them that way so I really like that approach and and you know also, what, what do you think are the biggest barriers for companies to do what you're doing? Because, you know, there's a lot of companies that aren't doing the amount that you're doing. So what, what do you think the biggest barriers are? I think for some, it's culture. Um, again, whether that's from leadership or throughout. So certainly within my business, some of the teams I'm supporting are a little bit of a surprise in some ways. So I'm working with a, a 700 person engineering company whose demographic is males aged 40 to 60. So, you know, we're talking about mental health and we've had a gradual build and take up 
as we've started to do these monthly sessions because they're saying, you know, they're going back to the friends and they're saying, oh, you know, that was really interesting. We've learned this. So I think it can be that culture where it's like, you know, our employees will buy into that. We, we don't need that. We've not had any. And I think it's people not realising that the fact that they're not aware that there's mental illness in the company doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we look at the statistic one in four, you know, I can assure you that there are people in there that are struggling at the moment, whether they're telling you or not. And all those hidden statistics, you know, 90% of people who take a day off with stress don't tell you it's stress related or maybe don't know the tummy problems, the migraines and headaches. They might not be joining the dots. So I think there's a lack of awareness in leadership and then, you know, the decision makers in the business. And then, you know, you've got the time. So obviously I'm very fortunate that Mando take it seriously, want to make a difference, manage the well-being of, of its staff as best it can. So they give me that time to be able to do these um, pieces of work. And, you know, we, we've absolutely seen the benefits, the thank yous we get from the team, you know, and we're catching it early. Our absence levels have gone down. The openness of the team with what they're going through, where you can make allowances, you can have those conversations. Do you want me to take some work away? Oh, no, no, I want to keep that piece. But can you just recognise that I'm struggling at the moment? Yeah, no problem. Mm. You know, it's it, you've got to have that, that combination of openness and trust from the staff and and the belief that it's going on and and you know the, the buy into it from the leadership to be able to put that time and money and energy into making the change but it really has paid off massively with the companies I've worked with. Yeah I bet and and yeah like you say it's definitely more of a it's great when you've got that buy-in it's great when the culture's different and you know you can definitely do more with that. However, what's your advice if, if you don't have buy-in and you don't have budgets and you know there's an issue um, as someone in HR and you haven't got buy-in, you haven't got budget, you don't really know where to start. What have you seen that's kind of done well in that example? I think there's a couple of things. There's, there's some great advice and support on things like NHS, Mind's website, MHFA's website being able to access Able Futures. As I say, the company register, it's free for the employees. And, and I'd encourage all HR really to, to do a little bit of research and to understand what it means. So whether that's a, a 30 minute Chasing the Stigma Ambassador of Hope um, awareness session or whether it's MHFA or whether it's just doing their own research, just to be aware of what's out there, what it means and just come from a good place. You know, if we care, we can make a difference. We don't need a big budget. We just need to let people know that they can trust us mm. and that we're there for them and that we'll be able to support them. We can't give them the answers. We can't click our fingers and make it better, but we can make a difference and we can help them to access the support they need. Yeah, no, I agree massively. It's like you say, it's not always about the money you spend or the initiatives that you implement into the business or the rewards that you give employees. Um, it's more about being human, right? Yeah. <laughs> and and doing what what you know humans should do, which is checking in with each other. You know, having open conversations. If someone wants to talk about their mental health, encouraging them. And you know, especially with the smaller businesses that we work with, we always say, you know, utilize your employees. Make this an employee-driven initiative. You know, if 
it might be difficult, but like you say, you could do like a free webinar or a free workshop or whatever you can get your hands on. And that, that might encourage another one employee to then say, this is my story. And then another employee, another employee. And that doesn't cost, that doesn't cost a penny, does it? It's, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree with you. Um, the other thing that I would like to touch on is when it comes to stigma and how do we eradicate stigma? This is a very difficult question. But when do you think it will <laughs> when do you think it will change? Like in, in your eyes, what have we got to do and how long could it take for mental health to be normalized in the workplace? The closest thing I can align it to is the racism and sexism we experienced in the 70s. You're too young. I was there. Yeah. You know, the shows that used to be on TV and were perfectly acceptable. And it's taken decades to change. I think the difference now is we've got technology. We've got a younger generation who are coming up, who are calling people out. That's not okay. You can't say that. You can't do that. You can't treat me that way. So I think the tide will turn a lot quicker with mental health. I think the awareness is going to be there in the generations that are coming through. I think it's going to be people, you know, in the, the 40s, 50s, 60s, probably that need that education more. And it's just about being open to it and a combination of what we're doing at government level. So the money that's coming into mental health services, the things that we're doing through the media. So obviously we always have the awareness day sessions, don't we? And, you know, good things that come up between Coronation Street and whatnot. Um, but I think more than that, it's this groundswell of people just talking about it openly you know, I look at my daughter and my daughter's 19 and the way her friends talk about their mental health, they're so open about it. And, mm. you know, it's, it's refreshing because they're recognizing it for themselves and they're seeking treatment and they're talking to one another so that they can help one another. Mm. And that's massively empowering because to know that you're safe, you can have those conversations and particularly, you know, some of them have been suicidal they know they've got that support there. And if they get low, they can pick up the phone. It doesn't matter what time of day or night that helps there. So I think mm. when it comes to stigma, they don't have that. They're quite open with telling people about it. Um, you know, and they will put it all over social media and that's okay because that's part of getting that message out there. It's about, I've been through this and I'm here now and, and this is what you can, this is the life you can live. Don't get stuck there. So I think that's all really important, but I think there's some some work to be done with my generation and, and either side of that and yeah. so that we can, because a lot of my age are the decision makers. So, you know, the education needs to come in at that level so that they understand the generations that are coming behind us and why they behave the way they do and how they can support them and recognising it in themselves because quite often people in my age don't recognise it until it's too late because we fight against it because, you know, we were taught to be, you know, put your big girl pants on and just get on with it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, sometimes you can fall off a cliff when you've got that attitude. So it's being kind to yourself as well. Yeah, no, I massively, massively agree with everything you say. It's, it's, it's the generational approach to mental health and, and that's why it's going to take a bit longer because, you know, my, my dad and mum's generation were brought up by, you know, my granddad's generation and, you know, me and my brother have, you know, of course we have different outlooks on mental health now because of obviously losing my dad. But at the same time, 
we wasn't educated about it. We wasn't told to talk about our emotions, even though my mum and dad were very loving, sensitive people. You know, we were still not taught about emotions and mental health. You know, however, you know, even with my generation, you know, are, are we as parents then educating our children? So like you say, some some are for sure, but there's many others that were still educated by their parents who didn't want to talk about it. So I think it's, I always kind of say, up, when I'm a great granddad, I think maybe, <laughs> maybe, and I'm a young parent, so I could be a great granddad. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe things would have changed. But I'm, I'm I, you know, hearing your story of your daughter and her friends, that kind of encourages me. Yeah. a lot more as well um and i think that's credit to you for probably allowing her to be open as well as i say it's her friends group as well you know she'd come home when they were 14 15 and people were cutting mm. and you know she'd be saying well it's just what they need to do and they're getting help but for now then so she was educating me before i was really aware of it um so you know it is it's great it's great that they can be that open and that expressive and safe Mm, yeah and it's like the you know the fingers of mental health like you say it's, it's always it's always it's always ever changing isn't it you know that you just saying that actually kind of stirred up some emotions in me of, of what do you mean because I don't have as you say the understanding of education around cutting and self-harm potentially there's then like you say your daughter does um so it's it's always ever changing and it's just about staying educated and 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 coming out with an open mind isn't it like you say yeah. Yeah. And there's some brilliant resources out there. And there's lots of people with lived experience who want to share their stories to help people get that understanding. And they're really powerful. Yeah. Amazing. Um, finally, I'm going to ask you two questions. I didn't prep you for this. Um, the first question is, and you've kind of answered this, but what do you do to, to manage your mental health? Aside from the hot tub, we'll use another one. What do you do to manage your mental health? Um. So for me, I like to help other people. So I always stay connected um, and I follow you. Are you familiar with the, the branches and roots analogy? No, but we're doing something similar for mental health awareness week. So go on. <laughs> <laughs> so it was something I did as part of my counseling personal development. And the tutor said to us, the roots of a tree never are less than the branches. The branches will always be less than the roots because the roots have to support the tree. So if the roots are the energy <clears throat> that you take in, the things that help you feel good, the things that recharge your batteries, and the branches are the things you give out. So through your work, through your relationships, etc., you need to make sure you're in balance and that you're always getting good things in from the bottom and giving the rest out from the top. And that was really enlightening for me because we quite often do go out of balance, you know, particularly if you're a, a kind person and, and you do want to help others. And, you know, some people do take a lot of energy. They have a lot of needs. Um, so it's recognizing when it's time to sit back and look after you. And I've got pretty good at that, but I've got some really good friends that, you know, are very close to me. I can tell them anything. And I think for me, that's probably my biggest savior. Mm. is that I am very I've always been very open in what I say to people and you know telling my story and things but I think the fact that I can have that honest relationship having a really really bad day and you know we'll have a laugh or we'll just explore what it is and then it helps me move on so I think that's probably one of my best strategies yeah and we've had we've had open email exchanges right and it's like 
you know, I'm the same as you. I think some people get shocked with how open and transparent you probably the same with you, right? It's like, but but I think you have to be, you know, because you're not going to move the conversation on mental health if you're feeling a certain way, but then you blame it on being something else that's going on. So I really like that. And and equally, yeah, I'll send you the comms that we're singing out for Mental Health Awareness Week because we've used the, the roots and the trees. But the way that we've, the way that we've done it is the the trees are almost like the external factors that we chase. So like your finances, your career, you know, how you look. And then the roots are kind of like the underlying values and, you know, the kind of meaning and, you know, decision making and stuff like that. So I'll send you that because um. Yeah, I, I always I always try and explain it and I can't explain it right. You have to see it, right? <laughs> um, good. The final question, and this is a big question, is what advice would you give to the younger you? Um, educate yourself. Mm. So I think that naivety throughout my career, really, um, about other people, how people behave and why. I've always been interested in the why, but I've never really gone into it. Mm. And the more studying I do and the more reading I do and the more TED Talks I watch, the better I understand people and the better I'm able to be towards them. So certainly my empathy has come on in leaps and bounds and, you know, I'm, I'm much more better at the, re- at the proactive stuff these days because I can see where things are coming from. So where is a line manager in the past? Things might take me by surprise. I'd like to think now I'm much more aware um, and much more able to help earlier, which is so important. Mm. I'm going to ask you a question on that, actually, because that fascinates me. Um, Do you feel like the self-awareness that you've developed and the understanding that you have of yourself has helped you have awareness and understanding of other people? I think so. Um, Some people will always mask. Mm. Some people you just can't get under the skin. But I think on the whole, and I think because I'm open, people feel able to be open with me as well. There's that little bit of vulnerability there that make people feel safe in disclosing whatever's going on for them. So I think, yeah, I think my my self-awareness and my openness has helped to connect with others and support them. Amazing. Dee, thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate it. Um, I've learned a lot and I always, I always say this, but I could talk about this for, for hours with you. Um, I'm sure. But finally, where can people find out a little bit more about you if they want to connect with you? So on all the usual social media channels, but the website's www.dewaconsulting.co.uk. Cool. And we'll link up to that in the, the podcast as well. But no, thank you for taking the time out and being so honest. Um, and definitely we'll stay in touch. Thanks, Paul.